Well, good evening. Uh, please turn back to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look throughout this chapter, not every verse, not every part of it, but Pentecost, what happened at Pentecost is our theme. Now, let's say um, that you as a Christian may not always find being a Christian easy. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? That uh, the Christian life is one that isn't necessarily straightforward, believing, knowing God, going on knowing God, all of the different aspects of what it means to be a Christian. In fact, you may say there are many things, but here are two that are particularly difficult. Simply knowing and believing in Jesus. Now, that's fundamental to what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? But it's hard knowing and trusting in Jesus and going on knowing and trusting in Jesus. Because, for a start, sometimes we doubt. Even as believers, sometimes we think, well, I don't understand everything or I don't know how to understand this or that aspect of Christianity. And also we get dry. It's just a fact, isn't it? Sometimes we feel cold within ourselves towards Jesus. So it's hard. Another aspect I would suggest that is difficult about being a Christian is testifying to Jesus. Doesn't it follow that if you find it hard to know and trust in Jesus in your heart, maybe because you feel dry or because you yourself have doubts, then it's going to be hard to go and tell other people about Jesus and testify about him if you yourself are struggling. So these, there are many, but these are two things that I think can be hard about being a Christian. Now, here's the thing. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm a Christian because God called me. You know, this is part of what we've been learning about in Ephesians, that because of the election of God, because of the fact that he calls us by his spirit, then he has begun this work in us. And we think to ourselves, well, this is hard, but God, you called me. You called me to this life of following you. Why is it so hard? And how are you going to help me? How are you going to help me trust in you and go on trusting you? And how are you going to help me tell other people about Jesus? These are some things that you may have found hard, you may find hard now, and you may well find hard in the future. Pentecost is hugely helpful in these regards. Understanding what happens at Pentecost and how it uh, impacts who we are now in this day and age is really, really helpful. So we're just going to look through this chapter, pull out some of the things that happen and see how it applies to us. Enter the scene. Okay, let's just think for a minute, first of all, about the scene here. Acts chapter 2 begins with this, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, first of all, we have to go back to the start of chapter 1 because Jesus, the great hope of the disciples, these people who had experienced this life with Jesus, who had seen him at first hand, who had been able to really trust in him because he was right there in front of them, helping them, teaching them, being patient with them, he'd ascended. He'd gone back. And they experienced at first hand that sense of loss. The, the person of Jesus had, had returned, had, had ascended to heaven. But you see at the start of, cha- of Acts chapter 1, Jesus had told them to wait for something. So in uh, verse 3 we read, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He'd been preparing them for the life that they were to go on to have, a life of being his witnesses. But then he says this in verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So these few, the disciples, and the kind of small extended community of believers at this time, very small, were waiting. A great sense of anticipation because their hope, Jesus had said, there is something else that is to happen and you must wait. Don't go dispersing off to your places and your towns and where you come from. Wait, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so when we get to Pentecost... This is that great thing that they were anticipating. This is that great thing that isn't random, that isn't just a kind of one-off show of what God can do, but it is within the purpose and the plan of God in his timeline, if you like, of salvation, what he's going to do for his people, that is going to have such huge effect right up until now and on into the future until Jesus comes again. He will send his Holy Spirit To be with his people, his vulnerable people, his people who miss him, Jesus Christ, physically. He will send his spirit. And so the waiting disciples, suddenly, as we get this great scene in Acts chapter 2, experience the coming of the spirit. What do they experience? Three things. Let me read from verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There are these three distinct evidences, if you like, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. These three things aren't in and of themselves the thing that we are to focus on. They are the evidences of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit with his people. They hear, they see, and in their speaking, they see evidence of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at them just for a couple of minutes. We get this incredible uh, sense of this powerful sound that that captured them and uh, that captured the the surrounding people a crowd gathered after this event happened and uh, this sound that happens we get in verse 2 suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind not a wind like a mighty rushing wind is evidence as i've said of the power and the presence of god the third person of the trinity the holy spirit coming amongst them We get different references in the Bible. You know when uh, God presences himself with his people, when he makes himself known. Sometimes we get very dramatic representations and uh, of, of, if you like, the sense of God being there. Let me read from uh, Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, just before the God comes and speaks uh, to the Israelites through Moses and gives the Ten Commandments to them, we read these words... In verse 16, on the morning of the third day, 
There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. A real vivid sense of the, the sound and the drama of the, of the presence of the, of the coming down of God to evidence himself to his people and to declare to them, to give them his law, his commandments. And uh, you can read on and read a, a kind of continued sense of the presence, the coming presence and the drama. So the, in the sound, there is a symbol, if you like, of, of the power of God coming. The, the mighty sound of the power of God. But also when we think about this sound like a wind, there is a sense of it being like the breath, like the breath of God. Uh, the Holy Spirit breathed out upon his people. In Job, here's a verse from Job, chapter 33. In Job we read, The Spirit of God has made me, a reference there to the creative, life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. There aren't many references in the Old Testament as uh, developed as there are in the, in the New Testament, but that's a really clear verse there. And of course, we, know, we think about the life-giving power of the Spirit. If you go right back to the very start of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We get that uh, mention of the, of the presence and the creative power of, the, of God's Spirit right at the beginning of creation. But it's true, as we've seen in that little verse there in Job, it's true also of Christian conversion, isn't it? How has God worked in you, Christian? By his Holy Spirit. You didn't just decide one day to be a Christian by your own power, but you recognize and you testify to the work of God in your heart. God's Holy Spirit at work in you. In John's Gospel, it speaks about those being born of water and of the Spirit. So we recognize at a fundamental level that as believers, we testify to the work of God in us and the work of his Holy Spirit. So there is that sense of the power and of the presence of God in this symbol, in this picture, this evidence of this mighty wind. But also, there's another verse in John where Jesus is speaking to his disciples before this day of Pentecost. And it's uh, linked to this whole idea of the breath, but it's very significant. It'll be very significant in terms of the effect of Pentecost, the purpose of Pentecost. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and then he does this. It says in, in John chapter 20, it says, When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus, that, that verse in many ways prefigures what happens here in Pentecost with the, if you like, the breathing out, the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit, the beginning of this great work of God being with, empowering, equipping his people to go out. Jesus is about to send out his disciples. And he says to them, he, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So there is that sense, and this is going to be important, we're going to come back to this, that as he prepares them for their ministry for the mission that he has for them, he sends them out not on their own. Not on their own. Receive the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that. So we focus really upon the sound, this incredible sense of the power, this great noise. 
But obviously we also get these uh, references to the sight, supernatural, amazing sight of these flames as of fire coming down and, the, and, and the, uh, light, alighting above all the different believers. Uh, again, often when we read of the presence of God in the Bible, fire is a symbol of his power. But also, we speak about the Holy Spirit of God. And fire is often uh, a reference to the purifying, the holiness of God. The Holy Spirit comes amongst them. Think also of the reference in Isaiah, when Isaiah sees this great, incredible, powerful, awesome vision of God, he falls down on his face because he's aware of his sinfulness. He's aware that he can't stand before this incredible God. And yet, even at that point, you remember the, the picture of how the, the live coal is brought and it touches his lips and he is told that his sin is atoned for. There is the holiness of God, but even, even in this great picture at the heart of the Old Testament, there is this testimony to the, the work of God in bringing salvation, bringing forgiveness. So the, the, these tongues of fire come down and descend upon the, the believers. And of course, then we read about the way they speak. This supernatural miracle that occurs and that takes up in many ways a lot of the chapter. A lot of the chapter is about what happens when they are supernaturally enabled to speak in different tongues. And uh, we don't have time to go into all that happens and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But again, what is the purpose of this? What so often happens uh, when we read through the miracles in the New Testament is we're tempted to sometimes focus just on the miracles as spectacles in and of themselves. But the miracles that Jesus did in the Gospels, the miracles that are done at different times throughout the Bible, are evidences of the power and the presence of God. And they're intended to point those who see the miracles to the one who enables them, to the one who performs them, to the one who has authority over the elements or whatever it is that is being worked miraculously. So that people can say, behold the true God. And this miracle that happens here where these people who hadn't learned all these different languages, but they're enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak in many different languages. So that all the different people who are gathered in the crowd from across, if you like, the known world at that time. Are able to hear them speaking about their God and understand them. Are pointed to the God about whom they speak. They don't just say, oh wow, that's incredible. These guys can all of a sudden speak different languages. Because of course, what this whole episode results in is 3,000 people being added to the church. The testimony is testimony to the power and presence of God. And it leads people to say, we saw at the end of the, uh, towards the end of the chapter, Verse 37, now when they heard this, because of course Peter goes on to explain to the people what's happening, he quotes back from different passages in the Old Testament to say, well, please understand what's happening here. This is the fulfillment of God's promises. Peter explains to them, and then they, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter, what should we do? What should we do when faced with this great evidence of the presence and the power of God? And uh, Peter says, 
Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Having, having spoken, having preached about the one in whom they are to put their hope. The Savior Jesus. He says, repent and be baptized. And uh, so this miracle, this great display of the presence and the power of God, is testimony to God himself and leads people to him. It's not just spectacle. It leads people to him. And it is for people to put their trust in him. So this, uh, this great event that happened, this historical event that happened roughly 2,000 years ago, sometimes leaves us saying, well, wow, wasn't that an incredible time? Wouldn't that have been an amazing place to be? Wouldn't that have been an amazing sight to behold, a thing to experience? If only things were like that for me now, because I doubt, and I fear, and I drift, and I don't always feel like testifying. Things feel very distant to me nowadays. So it's really important then for us to go on and think about how this incredible event is relevant for us. The second thing I want to think about is the timing, or if you like, the order of what happens here. We've seen what God has done, but let's just ask ourselves the question, well, how does this fit in terms of time and history? Think about uh, a skilled workman, maybe a mechanic, a skilled mechanic building a classic old car or a watchmaker, somebody putting together some complex piece of machinery. What's really important for that person is to know the order of things, where things fit so that the machine works really well. Now, what I'm not suggesting is that God was trying to follow some complex instructions and that if he got a little piece wrong, then he would have made a mistake because this is his plan. This is his history. He is putting this together. But what we should do is understand how this fits, how this piece, if you like, fits in his purposes, in his history, as he put together and worked out his salvation history. We spent this morning, we've spent the last few weeks, and indeed we spent many weeks uh, in church focusing on Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ. But what's important to see here about this day of Pentecost and this giving of the Spirit is this comes as a result of all of those things. So because the time had come where Jesus died, and was raised, and ascended, glorified to heaven. Because that time had come, now was the time for God to pour out his Holy Spirit. Now was the time where Jesus had said to his disciples, when I go, I will, I will give you my spirit. Now is the time for him to do that. This was the appropriate time, if you like. This was where that peace in God's great plan of salvation came into fruition. So, as I said, the disciples who'd gathered here weren't to see this as just some random happening. That's why Peter wanted to, to, to preach and to say to them, well, look, remember these Old Testament prophecies. Understand that this is the fulfillment of what is happening. Jesus, as we looked at that verse in, in uh, John chapter 20, in, as he sent them out 
on their mission. He enabled them. He sent them out with a purpose, but he enabled them. He promised them the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, though, was enabled all the way through his ministry by the Holy Spirit. Remember his baptism. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form, if you like, of a dove. Jesus, at every point in his ministry, was upheld and uh, taken forward until that great moment on the cross by the Holy Spirit. And now, as God's fledgling early church gathers in all its fragility, in all its unknowing of the future, in all its sense of their real sense of what is God doing and how is he going to take us forward, now is the point where God is to pour out his Holy Spirit on his church so that they may go forward into this new era, this era which we still live in today, the era of the gospel, the era of good news, the day of salvation, the time when all the ends of the earth are to hear the news of the gospel and to believe. And that is the great call that he enables by the working of his spirit, which he began at Pentecost. As Christ returns to heaven then, glorified, work completed, able to sit at the right hand of the Father, having finished the work that was given to him to do. Then we get to verse uh, 30 in our chapter. And we read these words, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. See, as Christ returns to heaven in glory, now is the time for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. John, John's gospel speaks a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit very helpfully to us. Let me uh, just back this up. There's another verse in John's gospel that I want to read. In John chapter 16, you remember Jesus is preparing his disciples with all their fear. What's it going to be like when Jesus goes? How are we going to deal with this? What's, what's it going to mean for us when Jesus goes? John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. One more verse in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 39 Verse 38, whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, even in there in the gospel of John, there is that teaching of the order of things, of the way that God was to work, that while Christ was with them, he, he, his work was to teach them about himself and to point them to himself as the Messiah 
Who would be able to forgive their sins because he was going to the cross? And having finished that work, he is able to pour out the Holy Spirit to equip his church and to be with them for all that they must do. It's sometimes the case, I think, that we feel as believers, I just wish that Jesus was right here with me now. It'd be so much easier if he was just here with me now. Then I could just ask him the question that I have. Then I could give him my complaint. I could ask him how on earth I'm supposed to witness. He could help me with my problems. He could help me because I feel far away from him. And I understand that. That's a very real thing to feel. And we look forward to that day when he will return as he has promised. But if we feel a sense of disappointment at his absence... In some ways, we haven't understood the potential of the promise for us and of the significance of Pentecost. Because what God did was that Jesus the Savior ascended and was glorified, but he gave his spirit to every believer who believes and repents. So that every believer here in this room And every believer in this city and in this world, every person walking this earth who is a believer in Jesus Christ is indwelt by God himself. The Spirit of God indwells the believer. And so though we feel the the physical absence of Jesus, if you like, don't underestimate what you have been given by God. Don't underestimate who you have been given, who you have been indwelt by. You have the power and the presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God. We read that in verse uh, 38. Again, we we mentioned this, but Peter confirms to them when they ask, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's just understand what it is that God has done for us. You know, Think about, think about, consider the, the, the desire and the reality of, the, of God dwelling with us. Think about way back into the Garden of Eden, that great fellowship that was experienced by Adam and Eve before the fall, the sense of God being with them. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That untainted relationship with and walk with God tabernacle is an important word isn't it tabernacle the dwelling the sense of dwelling goes we go on as we go through the old testament to read about the actual tabernacle the tent that the israelite people constructed as a place where god would come down and be with them that was the dwelling place of god to be with them of course that went on and we read of the temple the more secure permanent dwelling place of god with his people The hope that we have, we read of in Revelation 21, when we read of what God will do in renewing the heavens and the earth. And it speaks of how God promises that at that point, the dwelling of God will be with his people. That's our great hope, isn't it? But we have to remember, you know, we have to remember right now, when we think about relationship with God, the desire to have God with us, helping us, testifying to us of his love for us. A verse like 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple 
of the Holy Spirit within you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Now, I think sometimes we need to be assured of that. We need to be reminded of that. Because our Christianity is not something that we've just decided to read about in a book. It's not something that we work up by ourselves, by our, uh, our own um, desires. It's not something that we act out of our own strength, of our own righteousness, of our own goodness. It's something that God is at work within us to enable. His desire is for us. His desire is for you, to have you as his child, to know you so that you would know his love, you would know his fellowship, and that you, that we as a community, would know that sense of the presence of God with us as we seek to work out what it means to be a community of God. And so we have the Holy Spirit given to us individually, and as we come together, we know the presence of God. And so St. Columbus, what is St. Columbus? St. Columbus isn't a group of people who like each other. It's, it is that, we hope. But it's more than that. St. Columbus isn't a church uh, that is just trying to work out how to be the best church in Scotland. St. Columbus isn't a group of people who think they're better than other people or better than other churches because they're doing things differently or anything like that. St. Columbus is a group of ordinary people who are called to know and to go on knowing the power of God at work amongst them, to take them from darkness to light and to see the work of God amongst them by his Holy Spirit. Every day, the supernatural indwelling of the Spirit with you, for you, so that you may know God. But the final thing I want to see, we've seen the, the experience here, what happened at Pentecost, and I think we've seen a little bit about the timing of what God does here and the purpose. But I want to return again to the question I started off with, because I still think we might sometimes say, well, in theory that's fine, but I still find that I have these questions. How, tangibly, practically, how then do I know Jesus? I still find I'm distant. And I still find it hard to testify to what Jesus has done for me. I'm going to go back to John's Gospel and just read a few verses just to help us see this. Because it's really important to get a sense of the work of the Holy Spirit now for you amongst this community of believers. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Jesus, again, Jesus speaks to his disciples quite a lot in preparation to help them understand what the Spirit will do for them. So that first question that I asked right at the start, how can I know Jesus? How can I go on knowing Jesus? I don't just mean intellectually. I mean believing in him and trusting in him tomorrow morning when you have to go to work or whatever you face this week. A couple of verses, John chapter 15. And in verse 26, Jesus says, When the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So let's be clear that the Holy Spirit, his work is to testify to you about Jesus. In many ways, people would say, different commentators would say that the work of the Holy Spirit is quite self-effacing. It's not to, to make us even think about the Holy Spirit necessarily that much, but as the Spirit works in you, 
He is enabling you to look at Jesus, to think about Jesus, to understand the work of Jesus in dying for you, in being raised again, in, a, in being ascended, in ascending and in being glorified. The one who is now your mediator, who sits at the right hand and who intercedes for you, who prays for you, who remembers you bef- before the throne. The Holy Spirit's work is to testify to that to you. Another verse, John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus says these amazing words to his disciples. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There is such an awesome sense of, of, the, of God's uh, interaction, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the perfect knowledge of God within that, that union, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet the desire to, to take what is, uh, what is the truth of the gospel and make it known to us. Again, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He will take and make known to you. Now, of course, that, those verses in particular had great relevance for the disciples. If you think about it, these were the men who were going to go on and be those who would receive and, and, and write down the New Testament. So that great body of truth that we have now received was uh, that they were, gonna, they were going to receive and pass on to us. But that, of course, itself, that is in many ways the foundation of how we go on knowing Jesus. Not just in some mystical voice coming to us every so often, but in the foundation of the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God that we have for our, for our building up every day, that as we take it, in a very ordinary way, we take these scriptures that were written down for us that testify to Jesus, and as we take them and read them, we don't do that on our own because the Holy Spirit at work in us enables us, gives us understanding, teaches us, leads us into all truth. So we come, we read the scriptures on our own. We come together to read the scriptures and to hear them explained. But know as well that the, Spirit, the Spirit's desire is to enable us, as we read, to see Christ. And so that's why we we are so encouraged to go on reading and to go on coming back to the word and not to give up on, if you like, our quiet times, the, the foundational things that we talk about, the means of grace, prayer and the Holy Scriptures. Coming near to God through his word, spirit enabling us to know Christ, to know Jesus. J.I. Packer uses a helpful illustration, I think, in talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. He said that one time he was going to his church where he was a minister. And as he turned the corner, and it must have been nighttime, and he saw the church, the church was lit up. It was floodlit. But his point was that he couldn't see the floodlights on the ground. You often don't see the floodlights because they're hidden. Their work is all to illuminate the building. The building was illuminated. The floodlights were hidden. The Holy Spirit's work is to illuminate Jesus, your Lord and your Savior, 
to help you see him clearly and to be assured of his work for you in an ongoing way, assuring you of his love for you, of the effectiveness of what he did for you every day in an ongoing way. So how does God help me know Jesus? He gives you the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth and to take you back time and time again to the gospel. We are so tempted to say there must be more than the gospel. I maybe can save myself. It's all about me. It's about the way I work. It's about me pleasing God. It's about my reputation amongst other people. But we're to be reminded on a daily basis of the gospel and of of the foundation of what Jesus did. A second question that we started with, well, how can I possibly testify to Jesus? Well, I think the first answer has much to do with this. You know, we said that often we struggle to know Jesus because we grow dry and we feel distant to him. But as the Spirit works in us, testifying to Jesus, as our hearts are warmed by him to Jesus and to this great gospel, then we have a a clearer sense within us of what it means to us. Then the reality of the gospel, if you like, comes home. Then we go about our daily business and we go to work tomorrow and you go and see your friends on Tuesday evening or whatever you're going to do again this week with a clearer picture of who Jesus Christ is, of of a deeper understanding of what it means to you that he died for you. Because this... This awareness of the work of the gospel is a living thing within you and not an academic, dry, distant thing that you heard a while ago and have maybe half forgotten about. So the Spirit's testimony enlivens our appreciation of his love for us. But one final verse in John, I think, because it is difficult to witness and in many ways it is a fearful task that we've been given But listen to this. Jesus explains in John chapter 16, verse 8. He says this about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now remember that. Much of the calling of a Christian is to remember what we are called to do and what God has committed to do, if you like. So we may be called to speak. We may be called to testify testify to bear witness to what christ has done for us but we can't you can't convict your work colleague you're you're not able to quicken the heart of the person who lives across from you you need to be reminded of the fact that that's the holy spirit's work as he is at work in you to prepare you to receive the gospel to remember the gospel on a daily basis He must be at work in your neighbor. He must be at work in your colleague. And that is his work. And that is what he is speaking about here. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So that gives you a degree of peace and understanding about the work to which you've been called to. Because you can't save all of the people that you love and you pray for. But you're not called to. You're called to testify. And then you're called to pray that God, by his spirit, at work in your neighbor and your friend, would do his work. And, and there we rest. There we rest, because that is God's work. And we leave that with him. 
So knowing, if you like, knowing what we are called to and knowing the work that God has committed and, and promised to do is so important for us because it helps us. In many ways, it helps us with our witnessing. It helps us with so many different aspects of our Christian lives. And it also gives us a confidence. If it's the case that the Holy Spirit is at work in people's hearts, doing this work of con- bringing conviction, then, then we can go out confidently. And it's not appropriate for us to say, well, such and such a person will never listen to what I'm saying. Because the Holy Spirit is at work. The work amongst these 3,000 who believed on this day of Pentecost is the same work that is happening now. Many different communities throughout the world. And uh, our job is to remember that and to believe. To actually believe in the reality of the Holy Spirit within us and at work in the communities in which we live. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask tonight that you would help us to be encouraged by this evidence of your great power and of your presence with your people. We just ask that you would uh, teach us, Lord, and encourage us. We pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you that we have the Holy Spirit if we're those who are believers tonight. Forgive us when we uh, demean that truth or when we forget about it. Forgive us when we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we stop listening, when we don't give the Spirit in some ways the opportunity to testify to us about Christ, when we close our Bibles, when we shut our ears, when we stop praying, when we don't believe that you are the powerful God who is able and willing to be at work. So we just pray that you would give us this assurance, Lord. Give us the joy of the Holy Spirit. Give us a sense of your power and of your peace. And we pray that you would send us out, that you would embolden us, that you'd prepare us for this great work of witnessing to which we've been called. And we ask that you would go with us because we need you to. In Jesus, amen.